Hey, this is Ben with Blue Ribbon Coalition. We're here with the Defend Your Ground podcast. I'm here with Simone, our policy director, and we have a packed episode today. We have a bunch of things going on, so we hope you'll give it a listen and and take some action on some of the things we're working on for you. And um, Simone, you said you've been working on some camping plans, recreation area plans in the state of Alabama, which would be, I believe, our first project in Alabama in, in a while. Uh, so why don't you fill us in what's going on down in Alabama? Yeah, so the Forest Service, they've got six different proposals, and they go through four different national forests. So you've got Bankhead National Forest. I'm worried I'm going to mispronounce some of these. <laughs> the Konka National Forest, the Talladega National Forest, and then Ben, you're the one that always has to right, correct the Tuskegee. Tuskegee. Tuskegee, Tuskegee, we're not Southerners, yes. so sorry. So that People say you saw things well. wrong all the time, too. <laughs> so no one's going to come after me for saying, pronouncing those wrong. So I apologize if I butchered those. But so throughout those four national forests, there's a total of six Forest Service plans. Um, and they're all addressing, they say they're addressing public safety to some extent. Um through various things that they're trying to do. And public land is interesting on the East Coast, um, not in the Western United States, because there isn't as much of it. So I believe there's only about 1.9% of Alabama's land that is Forest Service land. So I'm assuming this land is really important for um, recreationists to be able to go out and use. They hunt, they fish. Um, And that's a lot of what these proposals are addressing, um, as well as camping, um, and boating, a lot of recreation. So the six different proposals, uh, if you will, so we'll, we'll just kind of go through them all. Um, the first one it's regarding camping, dispersed camping during hunting seasons. Um, so muzzleloader and rifle, uh, deer seasons, that they're proposing seasonal closures for dispersed camping. We have seen that in other um, on other public lands. Um, I'm not as familiar with Alabama, so what's interesting about these plans is uh, we could really use public feedback from people who are in the area and who do know, so we know what's kind of standard and and what's going on in these areas. So. Um, so that's the first proposal is to limit dispersed camping for hunters as well. I, um, for everybody during those deer seasons. So let me just make sure I understand. So that means that during the deer seasons, it's just day use only within the forests is Mm -hmm. what they're proposing. And And they say unless otherwise permitted. And so I'm, but they don't give specifics on that. So um maybe there's a permit process to camp in specific dispersed areas we're still in the scoping phase so what that means in the NEPA process is we're in the very beginning stages of this planning process uh so they're just really kind of getting feelers they're scoping it out for feedback from the public so there's not uh very specific plans yet Okay, and so on that note, uh, so we have an action alert that we'll have linked in the description of this episode, and you can go add a comment. And sometimes we'll include some model language you could use for an issue like this. 
But I believe on this issue of the closures for hunting, we didn't include, we, or sorry, we did not include any model language, but if that's something you're concerned about, or if you want to provide feedback about that, you can always modify um, the comment section of our action alert on our website. And so you should add your own thoughts to that and let the Forest Service know what you think. Absolutely. Um, the next one also involves dispersed camping. So uh, they're proposing that uh, you can't camp for longer than 21 days without leaving for 10 consecutive days. And what's tricky about this one, we, we do see um, management styles similar to this across public lands um, throughout the United States. What's hard about this one is that's gonna be really hard for the Forest Service to manage. Uh, 10 consecutive days, I mean, you're keeping track, okay, have they been there 20 days? Have they been there 21 days? Oh, they've been there 21, now they have to leave for 10 days. And I mean, how are you keeping track of every single person that's out there to make sure they have left for 10 consecutive days before they can come back for another 21 days? Uh, so what we see, Typically, what's kind of standard is um, there's a 14-day limit. So you can stay for two weeks, but then you have to move where you're camping. Uh, we do feel that that's a little bit easier to manage, um, and it's a little bit more enforceable. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Ben? Yeah, I don't love the 21 days on, 10 days off plan, and we've seen that in a few places, but most forests do the 14-day limit probably because it's actually enforceable and more manageable. I don't want the government tracking my movements all the time just because I'm choosing to recreate on public land. It just requires a lot more of them. And and I think both of those policies get to the same end point, which is they don't want people squatting on the forest, which means kind of living there permanently. And they want people to cycle through spots so one person doesn't just go and camp in the same spot and have it all to themselves for a long period of time. Both the 14-day limit and the 21-day limit, 10 days off, those kind of get you to the same place. And so I think it's probably better for the Forest Service to go with the one that's more manageable given how understaffed they tend to be. And, um, well, it's and much fact... more arbitrary. I mean, 21 days instead of 22 days. And... 10 consecutive days, how come it's not one week? Or, I mean, there's just so much arbitrary language in that that I just don't love it. Yeah, so that's another one where, again, we didn't include the model language in our comment that we write. We'll probably advise that they use the 14-day limit that other Forest Service Ranger districts use. Uh, but you should go ahead and let them know what you think about that if you have concerns. Um, and so that's the second thing they're analyzing. What else are they looking at in this plan? So they're going to restrict certain areas for day use only. So you wouldn't be able to camp there. And I'm still looking into this uh, to understand where these areas are and do people camp in those areas? And if they do, then people are losing that access to camp in, in certain parts of these forests. And we definitely want to look into that and if people are losing those opportunities to recreate on public land, we uh, we want to be aggressive with that. So that's the that's the third proposal is uh, it'll be day use only. It says that there'll be no use from dusk till dawn, which is just meaning you can only go there for the day. Yeah, and that's the thing that 
you also see in a lot of places, um, usually if it's an area with a lot of visitation and if you have people camping there, that means other people can't use the area. So again, that might be a restriction that is appropriate depending on the site. And so if you're from Alabama, you use these forests, uh, you should probably look into those areas, see what they're doing that they use areas for. And if that's an area where you really like camping, maybe you should share your feedback. If it's not an area that you camp, maybe the Forest Service is making the right choice on this one. So we'd probably defer to the local judgment on this one. Right. Um, the next one, it seems reasonable to me. Um, but again, I'm I'm not super familiar with the area. And so this is where we, we do need the feedback of others. Uh, so it's no releasing or stalking of wildlife. Um, and I can assume that maybe some animals or fish or something were released within the forest that caused problems. Um, and maybe not, too. I This is yeah, one where we're learning. Maybe the Forest Service is looking down south to Florida where they've released pythons and other things yeah. and have decided that was a bad idea. And so... Um, probably okay to be not letting people release invasive species into the national forests. Uh, right. I would love their information, like their data of why they're making these proposals. So what has been released or stocked um, in the forest that have led them to make these decisions. And so we're still working on getting all of that information from the forest service. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, so then the next one, one uh, it's to prohibit alcohol in almost all of the designated recreation areas on the boat ramps, the campgrounds, etc. So um, that's one that I'm not sure if alcohol use is a huge disturbance on these Forest Service lands. Maybe the the locals will say, you know, that's a that's an okay ask and maybe that's completely overbearing of of the federal government of the forest service to do um, that's yeah, another one I mean, that would love to hear yeah i have pretty big questions about that one i know i mean we certainly don't advocate at brc that you go get plastered and drunk and then go drive around in an off-road vehicle or something that always leads to bad things and so you need to ride responsibly and that means probably driving sober um but i know a lot of people when you're camping you're spending a weekend out in the woods a lot of times you're just sitting around you're going there to escape the the pressures of daily life and drinking alcohol is probably part of that experience and there's ways to do that responsibly and so i don't for that for the government the federal government of all governments to come in and start saying we're no longer going to allow you to drink alcohol I and mean, they've tried this before with the prohibition era amendment to the constitution it didn't turn out well um and so i but and, and this is the first time i've seen the federal government trying to completely prohibit alcohol use on public land um uh, but if so we just thought the, the users there should know that if this is something you don't think you would enjoy or if you actually like doing some moderate drinking out while you're camping, um, you should let the Forest Service know that they might be overreaching here. Right. So that's 
that's more that we just need feedback from from users and and from all of you listening so please submit a comment and, and let us know your thoughts too we'd appreciate it and then the last thing is in different areas they're proposing different recreation restrictions um some of the lakes uh, they're saying that it's you you can't swim in them anymore um, as I've researched which lakes are being prohibited to swimming they're they're big fishing destinations so I'm assuming that's why so maybe that's a reasonable ask um, some of them you won't be able to use a, mo a gas motored boat uh, they're restricting bikes on certain trails horses on certain trails horseback riding so I mean, a, an array of recreational activities. Um, what I want to make sure of, if they're saying you can't use a bike, for example, on a certain area, well, are they making sure that there are areas open to bike? I, I don't want recreation users, any form of recreation that they're using, I don't want to see them lose some of that recreational value that oh now because as i was looking through the plans there are large loops that uh they have on the maps to be restricted to to a bike for example and so that's half of that area now that you can't access on a bike and you have to walk it and, and there's different remember, issues with that if i remember what you were explaining there is that it looks like they're giving preferential treatment to one user group over another and i mean the forest service has a mandate to manage their forest service lands with multiple use which is the maximum amount of benefit for the maximum amount of people and if you start giving preferential treatment to one user group you're violating that mandate and so these are those limitation proposals will be ones we'll be raising questions about in our comment because um, a lot of times agencies will cite what they call user conflict as a justification for restricting one form of use over another and as soon as you're telling one person that they can't use the area anymore what and then letting the other person have it all to themselves as a way to resolve user conflict uh, I don't think you're doing it right uh, and I and a lot of times just because one user groups complaining about another group that's not enough of a conflict I usually want to see that there's actual conflagrations out on the trail and the law enforcement's been called in like that to me is a user conflict like things are getting so difficult that that they that and and then it, the response should be to give each user their own experience separate from each other not just to restrict one of the groups and so and it, so what's the deadline for this one simone I, mean, I think so this one is july 22nd so uh that's coming up here in just a few days so we do need people to submit their feedback on these there's a lot of proposals and how we'll have it set up how we have the action set up action alert set up sorry uh is your comment will go to all six of the proposals um so you don't have to submit six different proposals or six different comments it will go to all of them um, and cover all your bases there so um yeah we we need we have a short amount of time for people to get their thoughts in
Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get the word out. We'll have a link out on this podcast. We'll definitely be sharing information about this on our social media channels, um, which we invite you to subscribe to. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Twitter um, as Blue Ribbon Coalition. That's always a good place to get updates from what we're working on. And if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, uh, we'd love to have you subscribe. Uh, we'd love to have you leave a review so that people, so the podcast starts getting more visibility on the networks. It's uh, relatively due. And so anything you can do to help us get the word out and make sure people are getting this helpful information would be great. Uh, all right, so let's switch gears. Um, Alabama was the first issue we wanted to talk about. Um, issue number two is in Arizona, we have the Black Canyon Corridor. And we'll be diving into this one in a little bit more depth on a future episode as well. Um, but we wanted to just give everybody a heads up so they have as much time as possible to go process this and comment. Um, but the Black Canyon Corridor is an area north of Phoenix. Uh, it's very popular, sometimes referred to as the Bumblebee area for off-roading. And this was an area where they released their travel management plan last November. And it was a final decision. We looked at the plan. It closed 58% of the routes, I believe. And as we looked through the maps and a lot of the things they had done there, we found a, a decent amount of what were pretty serious errors just in the, the plan they released. And errors as in like the trails, the roads. Yeah, trails were missing. Um, when we looked through the route-specific feedback, there was feedback on certain routes they didn't seem to take into account. They were just so they were ignoring what I consider to be pretty valid public comments. Um, and so we put together a group of folks that were interested in this. We started drafting an appeal. Uh, we started mobilizing. Uh, or some of the folks in Arizona started mobilizing local government officials about around this plan and started to get a decent amount of attention and traction. And I think the BLM caught wind of what was happening. They re-looked at what they released and decided it was a liability to have that out there. Uh, we probably would have brought some sort of some sort of a formal appeal on the plan and challenged it. And so they just withdrew the plan. Um, and that's something that they can do within a 30-day period of releasing a decision. They can withdraw the final decision. That's what they did. Um, so when we took that as, as a victory. Yeah, because the plan was extent. was not good for uh, OHV users specifically, but also dispersed camping users um, and a lot of the other users that come into that area. And... So to have them go back to the drawing board and take more time, I think, was a victory. I think you want to, if you're going to go through this process, you want to get it as right as you can. So we're grateful the BLM did that. Um, there, since that time, we've had at least one meeting. They invited all of us to a meeting to gather feedback so that we could let them know what our concerns were. And... They have a new field office manager there. That was the other part of the problem is that plan was released by um, an, what we call an interim field manager. 
and that interim field manager was probably just I don't I can't read the mind <laughs> of this person, but they did they made the decision, and so now we have a permanent field manager there, and so I think there's they're taking a little bit more ownership over the decision. They want to do a better job. And so they have released an updated version of this plan. And in this case, it's not a final decision. It's just a, another round of public comment. And I think they're wanting to get the, the feedback from the community. And so we've seen some of our friends that are really into the highly technical rock crawling routes. So these are your most intense four by four routes. And there are several of these routes in this area and they were one of the groups that had some of the biggest concerns with the previous plan because a lot of those rock crawling routes were either not included in the plan or a route that you're only supposed to go up they had mapped out as a route that was a descent route and if you were to go down this route you'd probably die because it's so technical and so there were things like that that were just pretty misguided in the previous plan and it looks like they fixed a lot of those are the sense we're getting from the rock crawling crowd is that they're pretty happy with what the BLM's done. And so in our comment, we'll be acknowledging that, that we appreciate that the BLM did that. Um, and, be a, and so Simone, you've also looked at the plan and I, and I don't think our, aside from the rock crawling route corrections, uh, I don't think we're ready to conclude that this is a slam dunk and a, huge win. So why don't you talk about some of the things you're seeing in the plan? Right. So they do give several different options. So you've got through the deeper process, they give various alternatives, um, different plan options that they can move forward with. So we've got A through E. E is definitely the most recreation friendly, but even with E, you're still only allowing 58% of the routes to be open so i'm thinking is that right or i thought they were closing 58 percent still oh closing 58 percent. yeah that's right sorry um but the preferred plan from the forest service what they're what they're leaning towards is alternative c which is even more closures than alternative e e is considered their more recreation enhancement alternative but it's not enhancing any recreation from the current management plan. So that's always comical to me when they say it's the recreation friendly alternative because it's still restricting recreation to some degree. They're all just various degrees of restriction, which we are happy they went through and yeah. fixed some so things. Let's... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because we have NEPA, which is the law that the agencies follow when they go through these plans and they're asking for your comments. They're doing a thing called, <clears throat> the law is called NEPA, N-E-P-A. And it, it doesn't require them to come up with what's called a conservation alternative, but they almost always do it. Um, it's because they've been sued so many times by environmental groups saying you're not following NEPA because you're not looking at a full range of possibilities. And so an agency is almost always going to come up with a conservation alternative. And this alternative is going to mean that they're closing a lot of access and preventing people from accessing a lot of different parts of any given area. 
And so in that case, I say they're starting like way over here saying, we're going to just focus on conservation. And then they'll say, if we only close this much, then we're doing a lot, a big favor for recreation. And if we only close this much, we're doing a really big favor for recreation. So right over here is where the compromise is. And what I would argue is, um, they need to develop an actual recreation alternative, which would actually open more areas, develop more areas, create more different recreation experiences, and actually expand and enhance recreation use and have no closures. Um, if anything, have more openings for recreation. And so that moves you clear over to the other side of the spectrum. And then somewhere in the middle of that's a real compromise, but they don't ever, they don't ever set a marker on this other side of the spectrum that would be a true recreation alternative that we would support. They call a recreation alternative something that has a marginally less amount of closure in it. And their management rules don't acknowledge closure as the only way of managing recreation impacts. They have all, they have a whole list of other things they can do. They can install a lot more signage. They can install fencing. They can, they can reroute routes that are going through problematic areas. They can develop education programs and materials. And they almost never choose to do any of that other stuff. A travel plan almost always is just like, well, we're going to open this route and close this and close this and close this and close this and open this. It's and just a series of closures is, is typically what we see. Yeah, and especially with this Black Canyon corridor plan. That's their metric is how many roads did we close is how they determine the different variations between their NEPA alternatives. And we consider that to be a violation of NEPA. If you're not actually exploring a full range of different alternatives, if you don't have an actual recreation alternative, and we're here to help you develop that, um, we would help them understand what we want in a recreation alternative as, as an organization whose voice represents a lot of recreation users. Um, a lot of times they develop those recreation alternatives based on feedback from the conservation groups, and that's still not the way this should work. And so we'll probably be raising serious concerns about the NEPA compliance with this, um, hopefully in between this round of public comment and a final decision they look at some of these air thing, routes they're closing and decide there's some other ways they could manage those routes besides closing them. Uh, what else was in the plan besides the NEPA concerns? So, I mean, that was the largest concern as I had seen. Uh, so the last plan that they released was in 2018, and then we've got the 2022 plan. As I go through it, I mean, I, I know there's some differences, but a lot of it, is the same too so um so that does yeah i think they were mostly fixing some of these technical just some of those little errors that they've made yeah my other question we'll probably try to have a guest on a podcast who can talk about the access to mining claims in the area there are a lot of active mining claims we know there were a lot of mining groups on the meetings we've been on and in arizona especially but in a lot of places in the West, you know, a lot of the reason that certain roads exist are because they lead to mining claims and usually the public can use those um, unless they're going to a pretty big mine. And 
so in this and this is one of those areas where there are mines out there and the public can use them and what i think might be happening is they're moving some of those to administrative use and so i would and that's i would like to see usually uh, mining claim roads be open to the public as long as the public's not interfering with the mining operation uh, those are i would rather be partners with the mine operators and and work together on these issues that's usually the role we're playing together and so we'll have someone from the mining community to talk about that but that's an issue we're looking at and isn't there one of these big kind of hiking trails that comes through the area simone the mm -hmm. arizona i think that's like an arizona trail is there i mean there could be and i just haven't gotten into that that uh, is well, much. we need to look at that because that's yeah. one of the things I remember from the previous challenge is they have this this non-motorized trail that tra transverses the area. And that's great. We want those to be there. We want the non-motorized users to have just as much access to outdoor recreation as anybody. Uh, what we don't want is that their experience gets to take precedent over everybody else's. Well, and, and what so they're doing in this plan is they've got three different um ohv designations that they're giving to areas either open limited or closed and they're closing areas or limiting areas to ohv use for these non-motorized users and are they creating any areas that are restricting non-motorized users no there's not so they're they are giving preferential treatment to other users um, to non-motorized users, which we never like to see and we have concerns with. Yeah, and so a lot of times you'll see with these hiking trails like this that get pretty popular is that they'll want to create a non-motorized corridor around the trail, and we don't support that. If there are routes that cross this trail, and that's what usually is the case, is you'll have a route that just crosses it, I think a hiker can tolerate uh, OHV route crossing their hiking trail for 10 feet. It's not going to destroy their hiking experience. And a lot of times these are trails that are connecting you to other, like this area is kind of in the middle of some other areas. So you have to go through this area to get up onto some of the national forest lands. And so I don't love the idea of we're going to create a corridor or buffer zone around a hiking trail. We have problems with this in California with the Pacific Crest Trail and that shouldn't be happening they can manage this for multiple use and well and with these uh, buffer the other... zones they'll do i mean it's because they're trying to keep the sound value or the scenic value and then we see in other plans and i'm, I'm not sure to what extent this is happening in this one we'll have to go back through and look but those buffer zones seem to get pushed to be larger and larger so that um They've got these huge buffer zones around these non-motorized use recreation areas that completely eliminates motorized users so that there's not even a chance that you'll ever hear them or that you'll ever see them. And it just becomes uh, more and more restrictive to those who are using motors. Yeah. And so I think that in an area like this that isn't a wilderness, that isn't a national park, uh, all the user groups just need to share the area and tolerate each other being there. Um, and the other reason for that is usually when you have a big hiking trail like this, oftentimes it's going to have been funded 
by the Recreational Trails Program or RTP, which is paid for by motorized users. That's a that is a portion of the gas the tax <laughs> that comes from. Oh, they kind of do a formula to calculate how much gas is being paid for by OHV users, and then they put that into a fund that gets split 50-50 with non-motorized and motorized users. And so, if the OHV users are paying for your trail, maybe you can let them use the area too on their designated trails as well. And so that is <clears throat> what's going on in Arizona. We'll have a little, what's the deadline on that one, Simone? Do you know off the top well, of your head? Well, that one's August. Think... Let me double check on that one real quick. We have a little bit more time for that one. Uh, it is, and now I've lost the date on it. Yeah, so oh, we'll okay. give you the date, but it's somewhere towards the middle or it's end of august, august 5th oh august 5th so, so the beginning a couple of weeks yeah so we'll keep you posted on this one there will be more information i know a lot of the other groups are already paying attention to this so we're definitely vigilant on this and that is something good that there are other interests we're not fighting this one alone we've got other groups and organizations that are also invested in this management plan and making sure that it's uh, open and friendly to as many users as possible, hopefully. Yeah, so we would love if everybody not only commented on this project, the other projects that we're doing, but become a member and get involved with BRC and what we're doing. We are working to defend the recreation that you love to do. So would love your support. Yeah, so the final thing we want to talk about today, we usually only talk about two issues on the podcast just to keep it about the same time limit, but we're going to take a quick few minutes to update you. A few episodes ago, I was on the podcast with Bud Bruning from UTV Utah, and we talked about an upcoming plan in the San Rafael Desert in Utah, which is different than the San Rafael Swell, um, but it's right next to it. Uh, has a lot of similar terrain. It's a really cool area south of Green River and east of the San Rafael Swell. And we've spent a lot of time in this area. We've been tracking this. We've um, The BLM released a plan here. SUA, the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, challenged the BLM's plan on that. So in the last two years, we've been involved in a legal fight to keep this area open according to what the BLM's original plan was for this area. Uh, a few months ago in February, the BLM entered into a settlement agreement with SUA to analyze again 195 miles of routes in this area. We knew that this was going to come because we were a legal party to the settlement. We were at least um, aware of what was going on there. And just within the last few days, the BLM has released this these 195 routes for public comment. Um, they're wanting, they've gone out and inventoried these routes, but they're wanting new information from the public. And so we'll probably be heading back out to the San Rafael Desert to go look at some of these routes and verify their condition on the ground. I've already looked at several of them myself and I think they need to be kept open. Um, I think the claims that the BLM and SUA are making about these routes are not the full story and this is an area where if our OHV users can go out there and help us document what's there and add their voice to this process I think we can keep a lot of these routes open 
if we just let it go and we don't go try to correct the record on this, I think they'll get away with closing a lot of things that shouldn't be closed. And so we are working on an update on this one. It's a little bit of information to process and to make sure we're giving you accurate information. Um, one of my concerns with this one is prior to the settlement agreement in February, in the month of January, the BLM closed 35 miles of these routes through a categorical exclusion. Um, I think that was just nonsense that they did that in the middle of a legal proceeding that they would close routes that were subject to that legal proceeding. Uh, but those routes are now included in this new analysis. And so the BLM's asking you to go provide public feedback on routes that are closed. And if you go use these routes, you'll actually be like the, they could penalize you because uh, there's a closure order in effect and you'd be violating that and it'd be a trespass. And so we are going to have our attorney send a letter to the BLM and tell them <clears throat> that they either need to reopen those routes so the public can go evaluate the condition of them or they need to wait to go through this public. We need to have at least 30 days after we get, oh, I should explain, we appealed the categorical exclusion closures of those 35 miles and we haven't heard a response back yet from that appeal. And so we want to know what the decision is on that appeal, whether those routes are to remain open or closed from the administrative court uh, before the public is asked to go provide public feedback on this. And so what we've asked is that we get an extension on the deadline to be 30 days after the day that we receive a decision on that appeal here or that appeal of the plan that they did. And this is one way that people can help fight. I mean, we talk about 30 by 30. So the push to lock up 30% of the country's land and water by year 2030, because SUA and, and these groups, they're really pushing for the Red Rock, Red Rock Wilderness Act, which um, would designate a lot of wilderness in Utah. So if they can get these roads uh, decommissioned and closed, then it opens them up to designate a lot of wilderness. So it's just one more part to that overall big puzzle that they're trying to to lock up. Yeah, but I would add to that in this area, it's in Emory County. And so this area already was, they designated 600,000 acres of wilderness in Emory County through the Dingle Act. And so even if SUA was to get their wish and get their Red Rock Wilderness Act passed through Congress, it probably wouldn't create more wilderness in this area. It would probably be a deal killer for a lot of members of Congress to be creating more wilderness in this Emory County area than what was already created in the Dingle Act. And so this area has already been, Congress has spoken about what the land designation should be in Emory County. Uh, they are citing that some of these lands have wilderness characteristics, and that's part of the reason why the roads should be closed in the settlement agreement, and that those lands should be released from that designation. They shouldn't be managed as lands with wilderness characteristics because Congress, the only reason to do that is to preserve the wilderness character of the land in case Congress might designate those lands, and Congress is not going to designate more wilderness They've in They've already Emory decided County. what should be wilderness in, in Emory County. 
And so that means the areas that weren't designated wilderness should be left open is multiple use. And that's why we're fighting so hard on this one is because it just seems to never end. They'll just keep closing and closing and closing more and more and more and more. Uh, and so this is, a, we do need you to go out and help us document these routes. If that's something you want to help us with, uh, feel free to reach out to us before you go and we can let you know what areas have already been looked at, what areas really need some attention, and give you more information on what which of these routes are actually closed so you don't get yourself into trouble. And we'll keep you guys updated with what we hear back from the administrative court and the BLM on our concerns that this deadline is a little premature to be, they're telling us to go get, to go give them public feedback on something we can't go look at legally. And so that kind of makes it hard for us to provide valuable feedback. feedback. <laughs> and so we'll keep you posted on that. And that's part of our 10,000 plus project. And so this is just one area out of 13 that we are fighting to keep open in Utah as part of an even bigger settlement agreement. This is just 10 years of lawsuits. And we've been there every step of the way. We'll continue to be doing this. Um, and the only reason we're able to do this is because we have quite a bit, quite a large number of what I would call subscribing members or sustaining members of the 10,000 plus project. That's where we ask you just to give $5 a month to support the legal work we're doing here. And this is something that kind of happens in, in waves. And this is one of those waves. And then we usually have some downtime. And so it helps us keep a baseline of funding to make sure we have what we need to do the legal work to stay fully engaged in this process. And as you can see from what we're doing here, we are using those funds to do that. Uh, we are appealing everything that happens that we don't like. Um, Sue is doing the same thing. And so it's, it is kind of a trench fight legally between the two different opposing sides of this argument. And we can't do it without your support. So if you're not a subscribing member of the 10,000 plus project, um, today would be a good day to start. We definitely could use all the support we could get on that project. If you've ever wanted to go up against Sua, this is your chance. <laughs> it is one of your chances, but it, 